0: Good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. Plenty to talk about this morning. Lots of baseball yesterday, of course, the national championship game. Uh, 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 The politics never ends when it comes to sports. Uh, North Korea announced this morning that it is pulling out of the uh, upcoming Tokyo Olympics, uh, citing the coronavirus concerns. And if you believe that, I have some swampland to sell you. They they, uh, they, and the Japanese hate each other. This is all about, this was an excuse for the North Koreans to uh, turn this into a political thing. So the thumb knows that the Japanese, thumb knows nose at the United States because a lot of people thought this might be, you know, the Olympics would be a perfect time to open up some dialogue and uh, with you know, the new administration, and uh, North Korea is having none of it, so they've pulled out of the Olympics. So not like they were going to win a lot of medals to begin with, but uh, everything is politicized these days. So uh, no North Korea in the Olympics, so put your hankies away. I don't think it's we need to be too upset about that. Uh, all right, let's get to the national championship game last night, and it was, as I mentioned in the preview on Twitter and Facebook this morning, a snoozer. Um, Baylor just manhandled Gonzaga last night. There's no other way to put it. It looked like it was men against boys. And look, I've been impressed with this Gonzaga team all season long. I've watched them play a number of times. I love the way they execute in the half court. You know, they play basketball the way it was meant to be played. I was rooting for them last night, and it wasn't that I hated Baylor. I just liked watching Gonzaga execute the way that they usually do. Well, last night, this Baylor defense was so physical that it took Gonzaga out of its game. It was not able to execute the way it was. They were not able to get the easy layups uh, on a consistent basis that made them uh, the most dangerous team in the paint in the country all season long. You have got to take your hat off to this Baylor team, and it was the defense. Yes, I know they, they scored 86 points, and you know they had a 19-point lead at some point. I mean, I get all that, but this was about the defense. and And their defense was so aggressive to the point where they got themselves in some foul trouble in the second half, didn't end up mattering, but they just took it at Gonzaga. Every pass was challenged. And then you top that off with what they did on the offensive glass. Baylor had 16 offensive rebounds last night. And they just, you know, anytime there was a close play, Baylor seemed to want it more. And, and, you know, maybe there was a bit of a, and some people theorize that perhaps Gonzaga used too much energy to have to beat UCLA the other night. Look, this was as simple as this. Baylor plays in a much tougher conference. It's not close. You know, uh, it's just not. You know, Gonzaga, you know, gets a couple of games a year where they're challenged a little bit in their own conference. But by and large, Baylor plays tougher opponents on a day-in, day-out basis, and I think that was the difference in this game. Um, not to take anything away from everything Gonzaga did all year, but this Baylor team, was it was the men against the boys. Jared Butler with 22 points last night. Um, Maceo Teague had 19. Uh, but, again, it wasn't the offense. It was the defense. I mean, you got to score more points to get it. But, you know, look. And, and, and here's the thing. If you think about this, these two teams were supposed to play back in December, right? And the game was canceled because of the coronavirus. You wonder if they had played this game back in December and Baylor had won this game, you know, don't forget Baylor had that long layoff this year because of, of the virus. Um, what would have happened if they had played in December and Baylor had won this game in December? This tournament could have looked completely different. Different Gonzaga maybe wasn't wouldn't have been a number one seed. Think about that. Or if they were, maybe they would have been the fourth highest number one seed. This entire draw of the tournament could have looked completely different if this game had actually taken place back in December. And, you know, and maybe you know, and maybe there was a piece of Baylor that was a little bit more amped up for this, knowing that they had an opportunity to. Uh, Show people that you know everybody was talking about Gonzaga. Every I had Gonzaga on my on my bracket. Everybody, you know, and and maybe there was a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, and they just came out and I mean they punched Gonzaga right in the mouth, nine nothing. Then it was sixteen to four, and you know any time that Gonzaga tried to make any little run. They got it back to 9 a couple of times and both times that they did that Baylor just said, bah, "Okay, we'll turn it on again." And next thing you know, it was 15, 16, 17 points again. Gonzaga was never in this game. You know, people were excited they got it back to 10 at halftime and they needed to do that to make it to at least not have everybody in America clicking off their television sets. You know, they had to try to make it some some kind of a game. But they just uh, this Baylor team was impressive. And first national championship in school history. this is a team that was in absolute disarray. This was a program that before head coach Scott drew got got there, you know, they were in trouble. There had been you know recruiting violations, and uh, you know, it was to a point where he was holding open tryouts just to get players. And to see where they have come, you know, is just impressive. So congratulations to Baylor. It takes nothing away from Gonzaga. You know, again, you can talk all you want about the undefeated record, but at the end of the day, this was about a difference in conferences, that this Baylor team had to play better opponents day in and day out in their conference versus what Gonzaga had to play. You know, it is what it is. You know, I mean, there's nothing that you can do about that. It was kind of like the difference between UConn playing in the American Conference and playing in the Big East Conference. You know, there's just some conferences are stronger than others. It's like in football. The, The SEC is the strongest conference in the country, period. You know, it's not as strong in basketball, by and large. But it is the best football conference. There is just, in certain sports, certain conferences are just, they rise to the top. And this was a battle of conferences. And, you know, Gonzaga will probably have another year like this next year where they'll go undefeated or maybe lose one or two games, you know. But that their conference allows them to do that because the other teams have not been able to put together in the impressive program. Look, Mark Few has done some amazing things, and I still – Take my hat off to the way this team executes. They execute like nobody else in college basketball, period. And it's fun to watch. And last night, was I surprised that Baylor won the game last night? No, I wasn't surprised. What I was surprised by was how they won the game and how they totally dominated it and that poor Gonzaga just never had a chance. So that is... uh, we put the wraps on college basketball for the season. A couple other quick things before we move on to baseball. Uh, North Carolina hired uh, Hubie Davis yesterday. Uh, Hubert Davis was a former North Carolina player, played for Dean Smith for years, uh, played in the NBA for, I think, 10 years, uh, was an analyst at ESPN for a while until uh, Roy Williams convinced him to come onto his coaching staff. He's never coached as a head coach, never uh, so he is going to take over the university of North Carolina as his first head coaching job. And he becomes the first black head coach in the history of the program. So talk about having, uh, uh, having some pressure. I mean, and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're coaching, you know, at your old school, you're, you're taking over for the guy that hired you, a guy that, uh, coach for 33 years and won a couple of national championships in North Carolina, and, uh, you know, and you're play, playing, you know, in the Dean Dome, and, you know, good luck. Uh, so, uh, UB Davis will take over uh, North Carolina. Uh, one other quick note here in Connecticut. Paige Beckers won the uh, John Wooden Award yesterday for the most outstanding women's basketball player last night. Um, means that she swept Every National Player of the Year award in the country. I mean, think about that. Uh, you know, she won the Drysdale Award. She won the Naismith Trophy. She won the AP Player of the Year. Uh, first freshman to take home any of this stuff. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, uh, congratulations to Paige Beckers, and she's only going to get better, which should scare the hell out of everybody. All right. Baseball. I. <laughs> I was able to watch most of this game before the uh, the national championship game started. And, of course, I still was, you know, switching back and forth in between. But the Boston Red Sox finally showed some signs of life last night. They beat the Tampa Rays, the team that has – look, they, the Tampa Rays have owned the Red Sox the last couple of years. Uh, So this was a beautiful thing. The Red Sox with 11 runs and 16 hits in this game, and they got another impressive starting pitching performance. With the exception of the start by Garrett Richards, the Red Sox have had great – well, okay, hang on. Not great. They have had adequate starting pitching. They have had starting pitching that has kept them in games. I – I guess we're going to have to reevaluate our term great starting pitching. Jacob DeGrom had great starting pitching last night, and we'll get into that in a bit, but, you know, six shutout innings. It's almost like now if you go five innings, you, you get a cookie, you know. Remember when a, a quality start used to be like you had to pitch like seven innings, and yet now if you go five, everybody's giving you a pat on the back like you've just won the Cy Young Award. But Nick Pavetta yesterday Went five innings, only gave up two hits, no runs. He did walk four, struck out four. He had to be, uh, I called him Houdini last night, Houdini Pavetta. Uh, But this is the third start he's made for the Red Sox, by the way. Two at the end of last year, and then this one here. In each of those games, he has gone at least five innings, and he has given up either zero or one run. He becomes like only the fifth or sixth pitcher. In Red Sox history to ever do that, and it includes people like Pedro Martinez, uh, you know, and uh, uh, Tim Wakefield, and, and a couple of other guys that you know. You go, wow, and then you throw Nick Pavetta in there, and you go, huh? But again, you know, they got Native Aldi kept him in the game on opening day. Uh, Tanner Houck pitched very well in game two. You know, now Richards threw up the stinker in game three, but now last night Pavetta gets them through the first five, and, of course, the bats are awake. Uh, So when he leaves the game at the end of five innings, his team's up 5 nothing. So, uh, and then the bullpen uh, has some issues. Now, Matt Andrees came out and pitched a scoreless sixth inning. Looked really good, right? Uh, Comes back out, pitches a scoreless seventh inning. Looks great. They bring him back out for the eighth. And, look, the idea all along with Matt Andres is, you know, he was one of these swing guys that he was, you know, they think that he's capable of starting games in a pinch. So, you know, and to pitch multiple innings out of the bullpen. So the plan was, you know, look, let him go as long as he can go. So he gets the first out in the eighth inning last night. Um, and Then he gives up a hit. And so there's a guy on first base, and then a ball is hit right up the middle, the Red Sox have the shift on, so Kike Hernandez, the second baseman, is literally playing right behind second base. The ball's hit right at him. What happens? It takes a short hop right in front of the second base bag, hits the bag, bounces over his shoulder into center field. So instead of a tailor-made double play, now two guys are on, the floodgates open, and Andre ends up giving up a couple of runs because they bring Darwinson Hernandez out of the bullpen with the bases loaded. <laughs> and what does he do? He walks two guys. Oh good lord. The only reason he had to go stayed in for three batters is cuz he had to. Then they go get Adam Avino with the bases loaded. You know, and now it's a 7 to 2 game and Avino does a great job, strikes out the only guy he faces and then they uh, the Red Sox score a bunch of runs in the 8th inning to blow it open and you know, Valdez finishes it up. But Andrix was a little bit unlucky here. He could have been out of it with nothing if that ball doesn't hit the second base bag. So, you know, you'll look at Andrees' line and go two and a third, five hits and two runs. You go, ooh. But it really, you know, honestly, he should have been out of that inning. Uh, but anyway, great sign. Uh, Xander Bogarts, four hits last night. Thank God, you know. The only guy who did not hit, have a hit in the Red Sox lineup last night was Rafi Devers. He still doesn't have a hit in the first four games. Well, he's only played in three of them. But he went 0 for 5, struck out twice, left five guys on base, and just you go, oh, boy. But everybody else, the bats woke up. J.D. Martinez continues to hit. He hit another home run last night, went two for three, drove in three runs. He's hitting 533. He's back. Alex Verdugo had his first two hits of the season. I mean, uh, Kike Hernandez got on base. Uh, Hunter Renfro had a couple of hits. I mean, everybody got involved. So it was great to see. uh, So, Red Sox Nation, they are not going to go 0 162. Not that there was ever a chance that was going to happen. But now, you know, you go into this new. And now, Martin Perez pitches today. And, you know, look, Martin Perez is, you know, not going to. Uh, Strike fear into the hearts of raised batters, but hopefully, you know he has shown the ability to give the Red Sox four or five innings. The problem that you are going to have going forward, and this is the concern in Major League Baseball today, and this is why you see a lot of teams with fourteen, you know, fourteen pitchers, is because guys are going five innings, and you go like, hey, congratulations, give him a pat on the back. Well, now all of a sudden you are taxing the crap out of your bullpen. The Red Sox had to use four relievers last night. Now, granted, you know, Adavino pitched to, to one guy. But Darwins and Hernandez threw a bunch of pitches and looked awful. You had Valdez in there last night. You know, uh, Andrees pitched two and a third. He's not going to be available today. So you're looking, and now if this is a tight game, who do you go to? I mean, obviously, you can bring out Avino back since he only threw like nine pitches or eight pitches. So obviously, you can bring him back. You still have Matt Barnes out there. But if Martin Perez runs into trouble, you know, in the third inning or the fourth inning, and you've got to somehow figure out a way to get four or five innings after using so many guys last night, you go, you know, who have I got? And, you know, that's going to be a concern going forward, not just with the Red Sox, I think with a lot of teams in Major League Baseball. But uh, good sign uh, if you're a Boston fan, and the suicide watch for a lot of people in the city of Boston can, uh, can be relaxed. Uh, before we get to other games, the other news that came out last night was that Major League Baseball is going to be moving the All-Star game from Atlanta to Coors Field in Denver. Now, as I said yesterday, I don't think doing this was the right move. I think you're punishing people that have nothing to do with anything. It, You know, the, the, the businesses around Atlanta – uh have nothing to do with the decision made by the legislature the Atlanta Braves have nothing to do with the decision that was made by the legislature and to try to hold companies hostage like the you know the the twitter mob is trying to do with coke and uh, home depot and delta airlines you know it's just not right you know it's not right uh, I feel badly for the business owners that were looking to get a bump from the All Star game. I feel badly for the Aaron family, you know, where this was a great opportunity to honor the man who just passed away at the place where he broke Babe Ruth's record. I, you know, I just, I feel, I feel badly. Uh, so uh, now, having said that, I think moving it to Coors Field is uh, a good move. I mean, or an interesting move, I should say. Not a good move. They should have left it in Atlanta. But it's, a, it's an interesting move. Uh, you're moving it to a place that hasn't had the All-Star game since 1998. So it's been a long time. Uh, you're moving it to a place where the rarefied air is going to make for a very interesting home run derby if you're into that thing, which I am not, by the way. I did, I do not watch that because the home run derby is everything that's wrong with baseball because it's all about you know launch angle, and <laughs> to velocity. Uh, by the way, I have made a uh, I have made a new, not that anybody's going to care on Twitter, but I have made a new rule for myself. Anybody. Uh, any media member who quotes exit velocity and launch angle when uh, live tweeting during the game is now getting unfollowed by me. I just can't. I can't deal with it. I, you know, it's just ridiculous. You know, uh, they, they're they doing it now not just on home runs. They're doing it on everything. They did it on a, on a base hit that J.D. Martinez had yesterday. I mean, give me a break. So uh, that's my new rule. But anyway, uh, getting back to the course field. I mean, if you're into the home run derby, you know, in that rarefied air, you know, they might hit one to the moon. Uh, the Also, the other fascinating thing will be if Nolan Arenado, who was recently traded by the Colorado Rockies to the St. Louis Cardinals, is the leading vote getter at third base, and then comes back to start the All-Star game in the place where he made a name for himself. Uh, that will be, uh, uh, that will be fun as well. So, uh, I think if, if, you know, if they were going to make this decision, I think where they're moving it to not, uh, you know, I think they made a pretty good choice. Uh, it it, it will keep, it will keep the fans interested. Uh, and, and by the way, going along with the whole, uh, crap about, you know, politicizing sports and baseball and, you know, uh, Uh, Greg Abbott, the uh, governor of Texas, refusing to throw out the first pitch yesterday. Uh, I'm not going to do it. I'm protesting. Whatever. As far as I'm concerned, all the politicians can stay home. We don't need any of them throwing out first pitches at baseball games. You know, uh, we just, uh, you know. So anyway, uh, that is where we're at as far as the uh, All-Star game goes. And again, I still don't think it's the right move, but if you're going to do it, Uh, I think this was a good compromise. I just feel badly, you know, and I don't know. I mean, does that mean that the NFL is going to take the to take Atlanta out of the rotation for the Super Bowl? You know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know what you do. I mean, it's it's. It's a slippery slope we run if we're going to start anytime some political decision is made that we don't like. If we're going to start, you know, getting our sports involved into in, all this stuff, you run the risk of alienating half the country. You know, obviously all the Democrats are thrilled that Major League Baseball did this and all the Republicans are pissed. And I shouldn't say all the Republicans because I'm a Republican and I'm, a, I'm not pissed. I don't think it was the right move. I, I get it. I get that that you're displeased but i think you have to really take a look at who are you punishing are you punishing the legislators who made this rule or made this these new laws no you're punishing the man on the street you're punishing the business owners it's not their fault they don't pass laws voting laws you know the guy who owns the pizzeria doesn't has nothing to do with that. Yet you're punishing those people. You know that's not fair. You what? So what do you you know? If you're major league baseball, what are you saying? Well, if you ever want to have anything uh, here again, uh, like all star games and stuff, don't ever elect another Republican. You know you have to you have to see things our way, or we're not ever going to let you have another uh, all star game. Is that what major league baseball is saying? Because that's you know. It's it's not right, and it's not fair for the for the man in the street. I get it, but I still don't think it's right. Thirty minutes past the hour, we got to take a break. When we come back, we've got plenty more baseball to talk about, and uh, the Bruins with another disaster last night. How many times have we heard that lately? Uh, you're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 32 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Tuesday morning. A beautiful sunny day. It's going to be in the 60s. Spring is here. Uh, can't wait to uh, to get outside, start working in the garden, and uh, uh, although my back my back may not happy be happy about it, but I am I'm looking forward to uh, to getting out there this week and start to get things ready to get them in the ground. All right, um, uh, let's before we get back to baseball, uh, the Boston Bruins yesterday. You know, look, they didn't play horribly in this game, and uh, they got the bad news uh, earlier that uh, Yaroslav Halak has tested positive for COVID-19, so they already have Tuka Rask out with an upper body injury that's not responding well to treatment. Now they lose Halak, their number one goaltender, with Rask out, so they have to go to their third stringer, Dan Vladar. Yesterday, he played his ass off. Made 29 saves last night, uh, stopped 24 of the first 25. The Flyers got a power play goal midway through the third period to tie it up. And uh, then they win it in overtime. And they win it in overtime, and it's no fault of Ladar's uh, a turnover. And uh, Philly's coming the other way. And then what happens? The def- or the, the defender falls down. I mean, literally, Patrice Bergeron is coming down to try to cut off um, uh, Travis Sanheim and loses an edge, goes down. It was like something you'd see in a comedy movie. (coughs) And uh, Sanheim puts one past Vladar, and the Flyers win it in overtime. And this is a Flyers team that is just behind the Bruins by three points. Uh, in the standings right now, in the conference, the Bruins are the four seed. Flyers are are fifth. Now the uh, the Bruins do have two games in hand, but that was one that look they've dominated Philly lately. That was one they did not want to see get away, and uh, that was a tough loss last night. No question about it. Uh, don't know how long Halak will be out. Uh, he's obviously quarantining right now. Unless he gets another test and they find out it was a false positive, uh, Vladar's the guy. Um, and uh, these two teams are going to play again tonight in Philly. So uh, Vladar is going to have to die. I would assume they'll throw Vladar out there uh, yet again, but a uh, tough loss for the Bruins last night. Um, NFL news. The New York Jets uh, have traded Sam Darnold, their quarterback, to the Carolina Panthers for three draft picks, meaning that – the first two picks in this NFL draft are absolutely going to be quarterbacks. We already know uh, what Jacksonville plans to do. Now it looks like the Jets are going to have to do the same thing. The news, the word is, is they believe the Jets are interested in BYU's Zach Wilson. Now, Justin Fields was the guy that a lot of people thought was the second best quarterback in this draft, but the Jets seem to be enamored with Zach Wilson out of BYU and Sam Darnold is now out in New York, and he will be starting for the Carolina Panthers. Of course, Teddy Bridgewater is in Carolina right now, so they'll probably be trying to move Bridgewater. Darnold's only 23 years old. Um, do I think that he is a great quarterback? No, but I think he is better uh, than a lot of people think. I think uh, you look playing in New York is not an easy thing to do. Playing for the Jets, who are a joke, is not an easy thing to do. The Jets have so many other weaknesses, <laughs> including including their their front office and their coaching staff. At times, uh, you know, I'm hoping for Darnold. This will be a chance for him to kind of reboot uh, his career because uh, I think he is. I think he is a serviceable quarterback. He's. I don't think he's a Hall of Fame quarterback, but I he's better than a lot of other guys in the NFL right now. I'll tell you that. Uh, so, and, uh, and the Panthers didn't have to give up a number one. They're giving up a number six this year. I think a number two next year, as well as a number, a number four or number five. So, uh, it wasn't that bad, but if you look at the jets and I saw this yesterday and I was absolutely stunned their first round draft picks in the last 10 years, they have traded or cut. Nine of them. (laughs) Think about that. You know, that means that you have essentially admitting that you have whiffed on your first-round draft pick for most of the last decade. You know, and you wonder why Jet fans are raving alcoholics. (laughs) <laughs> or, or, if I was a Jet fan, I probably would be. But th- you know, I mean, just just another example of the Jets saying, "Well, you know, I guess we screwed this one up." Um, and look, there are people that don't think that Zach Wilson or Justin Fields are the answer either. There is a lot of people that think that um, Wilson plays too small. That you know, he's not a huge quarterback. He's, no, he's, I think he's six one. So he's not like Doug Flutie small, but a lot of people I've seen comparisons that they think he plays that kind of game. There are people that think Justin Fields, uh, d- while very athletic, doesn't make the best decisions, and there are accuracy issues with him. So uh, the question is: is you know, are you really making uh, trading up? Are you trading this guy? and thinking that the guy that you're going to get in this draft is going to be better than Sam Darnold. I'm not convinced, you know, because you're not getting Joey Lawrence. If you could get Joey Lawrence, Mel, maybe, you know, you could say that, yeah, we're absolutely trading up. But it could be a bit of a crapshoot here, you know, and Jet fans may find out very quickly that the guy they're getting, because you're obviously going to be throwing him to the wolves now, too. There's not going to be any, you know, sitting on the bench for a year and learning. You know, Jet fans may find very quickly they may be longing for Sam Darnold before the year is over. So Jets being the Jets. Um back to baseball. Because that's all that really matters this time of year. Uh the New York Yankees win yesterday seven nothing. Uh the stories out of this, Jordan Montgomery, great start for the Yankees. Six innings, seven strikeouts, no walks, no runs. He gave up four hits. Can't ask for much more than that. Luis Sessa with a couple of scoreless innings. Aroldis Chapman pitches a scoreless uh, ninth, strikes out the side, did walk a guy, but strikes out the side, and the Yankees win this easily. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton with a 471-foot grand slam. Aaron Judge hits his first home run of the season as well. I, you know, I didn't know people actually kept track of this, although I shouldn't be surprised. Uh, when Judge and Stanton Homer in the same game, uh, the, the Yankees are 8-0, including three of those games in the postseason. The problem is, is that those guys have not been in the lineup together very often. You know, one or the other of them has been hurt most of the time. Uh, Gary Sanchez, yay, that great start Gary Sanchez got off to. Two home runs, yay, he's back. Gary Sanchez was 0-4 yesterday. He struck out three times. Oh, and he made an error. Gary Sanchez is reverting to Gary Sanchez form of the last couple of years. This guy's not very good, folks. I'm sorry. I know he's got a lot of power, but I'm sick and tired of hearing about Gary Sanchez. I really am. Oh, and by the way, everybody's excited about Stanton's home run, and you should be. I mean, it was a blast. Uh, you know, Giancarlo Stanton's hitting 083. He's not exactly off to a hot start either, but, uh, you know, maybe yesterday gets him jump started a little bit, and they beat the Orioles. The Orioles finally lose, so they're not going to go 162-0. and 0. Um, Garrett Cole will pitch for the Yankees today. So the Orioles will probably be three and two after today. Uh, Dean Kremer will make his season debut for the Baltimore Orioles today. Good luck. Um, and in a microcosm of baseball in the two thousands, I give you the Philadelphia Phillies, New York Mets game yesterday. Phillies come back to win this game 5-3. Philly is off to a 4-0 start. Um, but here's the problem with this game. Philly scores five runs in the eighth inning to win it. Great. The problem with it is Jacob DeGrom got the start for the Mets yesterday. Pitched six innings, which in this day and age is saying something, right? Only gave up three hits. He struck out seven. He walked two. So you're going to say, well, six innings, that's pretty much what we allow starting pitchers to go these days. So, you know, congratulations. Here's a cookie. You know, go sit down, and the bullpen will take care of it for you. Well, obviously they didn't. But here's the problem. Jacob deGrom, in those six innings, threw 77 pitches. Before the game, the manager of the New York Mets said, Luis Rojas said that his pitch count limit was around 100. So after six innings, he's thrown 77 pitches. You're winning the game two nothing. It's not like you're up, you know, five, six, seven nothing. You're up two nothing. He is, you know, the Mets don't know what to do. You take him out after 77 pitches, and then the Phillies crush your bullpen. And, you know, I have some friends that are Mets fans. And they were losing their minds when Rojas pulled him out of the game. And they were going to the bullpen. And everybody knows how shaky this bullpen has been. And Castro, May, Loop, over the next three innings, actually the next two innings because the game was in Philadelphia, Proceed to give up five runs. Now, Luis Guillorme with a throwing error that allowed the go-ahead run to score, so it doesn't look as bad as it could have because that means that three of the runs that end up scoring are unearned. But at the end of the day, you know, they've got guys in that bullpen that are supposed to be swing-and-miss guys. So here we are, right? You've got Dylan Patances out there. Now, I know he's not the guy he used to be, but he's a swing-and-miss kind of guy. You know, you've got Edwin Diaz out there. You know, you've got guys in that bullpen that are better than who they threw out there yesterday, and you lose this game when your starting pitcher befuddled the, the Phillies for six innings through 77 pitches, and you lost the game. This is on Rojas. And now Rojas, after, you know, after the game is like, well, he hasn't thrown in 10 days. The conversations we have with him between innings led us to pull him. And DeGrom said, well, you know, and they asked, you know, DeGrom if he pushed back. And he said, well, he didn't because, you know, he said, look, uh, uh, he said going in, he thought he'd be limited due to the layoff. He said, it's a long season and it felt like the right decision. This is Jacob DeGrom being the good soldier. But if you're Jacob DeGrom and you look at the number of games over the last three years where he has left the game with a lead and ended up with a no decision, it's mind boggling absolutely mind-boggling. And this is one of those cases where if the Mets want to come to this guy and say, hey, we want to sign you to this long-term deal," if I'm Jacob DeGrom, I want out of New York because I'm sick and tired of this crap. But it's baseball in, in 2021, baseball in 2010. You got to let these guys pitch, for God's sake. 77. Jay, Nick Pavetta threw 93 pitches in five innings for the Red Sox last night. Now, if Nick Pavetta can throw 93 pitches, Jacob DeGrom could have gone seven innings. you know. And then maybe your rotation out of your bullpen looks a little bit different. I don't know. Maybe you still blow it. But Jacob DeGrom has got to pitch more than 77 pitches. He is the best pitcher you have, and it ain't close. And as for Philly, uh, you know, it, it just, you know, thank you. I mean, you want to walk up to Rojas after the game and say, hey, look, we appreciate the help because, <laughs> you know, they had no no clue. So two teams again today. Marcus Stroman will take the mound for the Mets. And Chase Anderson will get his first start for the Phillies. For Stroman, this will be his first game in two years. This is a guy who opted out of last season, so it'll be his first uh, pitch in true anger. Um you know, since the 2019 season, it's 46 minutes past the hour. Go going to take another break back in a minute. You're listening to the wake up call on sports country. It's 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake up call. You know, I was just thinking, I mean, I mean, the, the decision last night by Rojas is just, it's just typical Mets. You know, it's kind of like, you know, we talked about with Sam Darnold getting traded to Carolina. It's typical, it's typical Jets. You know, where you've traded, you know, nine of your last 10 first round draft picks. I mean, it's like the kind of stuff that you just expect. Matter of fact, I tell you what, when the preseason starts in the NFL this year, I'm going to start the countdown clock for the first tweet I see where some Jets fan is saying, bring back Sam Darnold, <laughs> you know, because I'm still not convinced that Zach Wilson or Justin Fields is going to be any better. Now, maybe they will be, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't think, I think, you know, you've, you handed Darnold a, a crap sandwich and asked him to, you know, to turn it into uh to caviar. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure that Justin Fields or Zach Wilson is going to be any more, uh, uh, adept at doing that. So, but again, last night with, with Degrom, typical Mets, it shouldn't surprise me. And, and again, you wonder why Mets fans are, you know, the angriest fans in baseball. Um, In the swing heard round the world last night, Fernando Tatis dislocated his left shoulder, swinging and missing at a pitch. Uh, Everybody in San Diego, you know, collectively gasped. I think uh, we all felt the the current of air moving westward in that last night. You know, after that 14-year, $340 million contract, this is the second time now that he has been injured this season. And he's off to a horrible start. He's already made five errors. Supposedly, whatever is going on with this left arm, and they said it popped out. The training staff was able to put it back in place. Um, and I guess it is some kind of chronic issue with him. He said it has gone all the way back since rookie ball. Here's the deal, folks. What he's got going on, it's I, I, I think it's, I can't, I can't remember the medical term for it. It's like sublaction or something like that. It's fixable, but it usually requires surgery. You know, this is something that has happened to other people before where you have a shoulder that chronically pops out of place. It can be repaired, but he may have to have surgery. Now, does that mean he's going to have to have it during the season? I don't know. But, you know, remember, he got hurt in spring training, sliding head first in the home plate. Uh, He got hurt in one of the first games this year. I think he had to leave the game early. Uh, And now the swing and miss here, he's made five errors in the field. He's, you know, hitting a a buck 60 and uh, not exactly the way the Padres (laughs) want to start their season. Uh, He is going to have an MRI today, and they'll reevaluate where he is going to be at. But uh, he is obviously probably not. I would be shocked if he plays today, Uh, because if you've ever had your shoulder pop out, if you've ever dislocated your shoulder, and I have, they can pop it back in. It's sore for a little while. It's not like, uh, you know, oh, everything's fine. No. No, that shoulder stays sore for a little while. So, uh, And uh, in the game, the Padres end up losing it. The Giants beat the Padres yesterday 3-2. to two. Uh, Mike Yastrzemski with a pinch-hit home run in the seventh inning, one of three home runs, three solo shots the Giants hit yesterday. Darren Ruff and Evan Longoria also went deep. Uh, Yastrzemski was supposed to be in the starting lineup Got scratched because of a sore hand, uh, but uh, they brought him on in the pitcher's spot as a pinch hitter, and uh, he hit a ball, uh, a homer to center field off Craig Stammen, uh with one out in the seventh inning, his first of the season. So uh, the Giants beat the Padres yesterday. Now, my team that I have picked to win the uh, AL West, well, I was uh, watching the first part of this game last night before I called it a night. I just couldn't stay awake anymore, but uh, the Angels were in big trouble. They looked like they were... They were going to lose this game. They were down 4 nothing to Houston early. Well, they came all the way back, and the Angels beat the Houston Astros last night 7-6. to um, Mike Trout with a home run, and the Angels another late-game rally as they come back to hand the Astros their first loss of the season. Uh, and this was, by the way, neither starting pitcher lasted very long in this game. Neither one of them got out of the fourth inning. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, Shohei Otani was not in the lineup last night because he had just pitched. By the way, he got spiked, I guess. That's why he left the game the other night. He got spiked in that play at home plate, but they said he's okay. Uh, and he came on as a pinch hitter last night, ended up getting plunked and uh, in the eighth inning. And uh, that was a just a disastrous inning for the Houston bullpen. They scored four times um, off of Abreu and Joe Smith in this one and uh, they end up winning the game 7 to 6. So the Angels now 4 and 1 tied atop the uh, AL West with the Houston Astros. And the story of the year so far in Major League Baseball. Th- this is unbelievable. Yerman Mercedes for the Chicago White Sox. This is a guy who is a 28-year-old rookie. He played in the minor league, did you know, and and nobody's ever heard of this guy, right? He had 3 more hits in the game last night. He went he started the season going 8 for 8. He's 28 years old. After the 3 hits last night, he has started the season 12 for his first 18. That is unbelievable. 12 for 18. And then uh, the White Sox get decent starting pitching last night. Uh, Rodon went the first five innings. He struck out nine, only allowed two hits, no runs. Michael Kopech with two scoreless innings of relief. He whiffed uh, five guys in two innings. Ruiz finishes up the last two innings, uh, and uh, they whacked Justice Sheffield all over the uh, all over the place. And the White Sox pick up their second win of the season, shutting out the Mariners 6 to nothing. But uh, Yerman Mercedes, uh, you know, obviously he's not going to keep that up, but what a great story so far. Uh, Giolito pitches today for the White Sox. James Paxton will make his first start in his return uh, to the Seattle Mariners tonight. Uh, the Cleveland Indians, hey, how about this? How about breaking up the uh, Kansas City Royals? The Kansas City Royals off to a 3-1 and start. Danny Duffy. Uh, who has been owned by Cleveland. Danny Duffy has more losses. He has 12 career losses against the Indians, uh, the most by far against any team. Well, yesterday he goes six shutout innings. He strikes out five, only allows two hits. Bullpen does its job. Jesse Hahn uh, from Norwich, Connecticut, picks up uh, his first save of the season, and they shut out the Cleveland Indians yesterday, 3 nothing. So Cleveland falls to 1-3 and in the Royals are uh, three and one uh, Logan Allen got the start for Cleveland didn't pitch horribly but uh, only gave up two runs and five hits in five innings but uh, the Cleveland offense could only manage three hits last night uh and by and by the way do you see the uh, you know they they have that drummer at the uh, Cleveland games the guy's name is John Adams well he had to have heart surgery right so he, he's the guy that's always there banging the drums. so what happens they got a substitute drummer last night who was it it was patrick carney of the black keys so you know and he had he was excited he said i haven't had a live gig in a year so he was uh, you guys won grammy awards and he is in the stands last night uh banging the drum for the game for the cleveland indians didn't help the indians they lost the game anyway but uh uh the kansas city royals take them out unbelievable 3 and 1 um and the washington nationals finally get to play today Uh, They will take on the Braves. Uh, The Nationals have 11 players sidelined with the coronavirus. We don't know exactly who they are, although it sounds like Trey Turner and Josh Bell may be one of them uh, because uh, they were not at the workout yesterday. But the good news for the Nationals is Scherzer is okay. Uh, Strasburg is okay. So their pitching staff is going to be fine. Uh, But at least for a couple of days, they are going to be very, very shorthanded. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Mark Cohen, one of my favorite songs, Walking in Memphis. Have a great Tuesday. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.